Welcome to Spring the Beacon with Ryan Rieger. Today we're playing Lego, and Daddy has other dice stay on my play Lego. Hey guys, welcome back to the Streams of Income radio show. I'm your host, Ryan Rieger, and today we have Chris Volk with us. And this episode's a little bit unique because my buddy Stephen Hibbert, who has been on this podcast many times, helped me with this interview. Chris is super smart. So like this is almost like a MBA right on this podcast. And so I knew Stephen would be helpful in asking really good questions of this guy. Chris is a, the author of the book, The Value Equation. He has taken several companies public, and he's just got an awesome uh, background in finance. And we just had a great conversation. So for those of you that are a little bit more academic, you're going to love this episode because we talk about uh, things like you know uh, revenue and increasing your, your revenue and how to uh, do that using his formula. And one thing I asked him that um, I'm always fascinated with people who are around a lot of different businesses, you pick up some things, you learn things, you see uh, how other businesses have, have become successful and you see some parallels and you see a lot of uh, similarities. And he said, one thing that he always suggests businesses do is to create core competencies, be good at a few things and focus and he says, as a business owner and an entrepreneur, it's very easy to have shiny object syndrome. Yeah, we all know that, don't we? And uh, But you got to focus and have some few core competencies that you are really, really good at. You focus on those and it'll help you be much more successful. But he said uh, some really, really good stuff. I took a lot of notes here. Uh, business is fundamentally virtuous. And we all know that. And my friend Rabbi Lappin talks about that, how business is good. And so if you're in business, you're listening to me, you're doing a good thing. But this has been an this has been a really awesome episode. Grab his book, The Value Equation. You can grab it at Amazon. But here is my interview with Chris. Christopher, welcome to Streams of Income. Thanks so much. Ryan, I'm just uh, excited to be here with you. Awesome. So as you guys can see, we have a little bit of a unique um, episode here. Stephen Hibbert's on with me because you, my audience is, he's no stranger to my audience. But uh, when I saw Christopher's request come in to be on my podcast, I thought this will be an episode that Stephen will want to be involved in. Well, help me ask really good questions. But Christopher, I want to hear your story. I love hearing people's stories and how they got to where they are now. So feel free to take me back as far back as you want to go. That's, you know, that my audience might find interesting. Sure. I uh, started my career not knowing a thing about business. I was actually selling clothes at, uh, in retail. And I uh, thought I should take some uh, business classes to hone up a little bit. So I was taking accounting classes at night uh -huh. and I um, uh, got a job working for a commercial bank, which I did partly because if you're working for a bank, you may want to be in banking your whole career, but if not, you're seeing a lot of businesses, right? I mean, you get to see what other people do and how stuff works. And uh -huh. um, so I did that for six years and decided I didn't like banking that much, but I sure did <laughs> like finance, you know? Um, and uh, uh, one of my customers, I was in Atlanta at the time, one of my customers was out in Arizona and he had a company I really liked. It was a sort of a real estate company, but really fundamentally it was a finance company. What it did was it bought all these chain restaurant properties and rented them to the, all, all the operators that ran the chain restaurant properties. So it was um, basically convincing people they were better off having a landlord than a banker. Um, mm. And it was a better idea to finance their properties. And, uh, and so he started that company in 80, I joined him in 86, but I've been banking him since before that. And 
um, uh, somewhere kind of in the late eighties, early nineties, I suggested he take this thing public. So uh-huh. I led the public IPO for this. That was in 1994. And we listed on the New York stock exchange. We were there for seven years and, uh, I was the president on the board of directors and, um, grew the company pretty substantially and we sold it to GE capital. So we were part of, I was, I was going from running a company with 250 people to being one of 350,000 employees in GE. And, um, you know, that was not my, um, that was not my favorite thing to do. And I, um, uh, so I left a perfectly good paying job to take a risk to start a company. And, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, part of this is, uh, you have this notion of what do you want to have on your obituary kind of thing. And, um, Part of my thing is that uh, I wanted to I had a bucket list and, and I wanted to be able to look back and say I tried to start a business and um, um, and it was important for me to see if I could make a go of it. So mm. I, he and I uh, got together. We um, uh, created another uh, real estate investment trust uh, doing net lease assets similar to the first company. Uh, although this was beyond restaurants, we were doing a lot of other stuff. We were doing data centers. We were doing all kinds of stuff. So we, we started in 03, took a public in four, um, sold it in seven, uh, stuck around for a little bit. And then in 2010, we had left and, and I was, uh, approached by a group out of California, uh, to potentially capitalize another business. And so, um, I took a group of people with me to, uh, start that business and, uh, in, in May of 2011, we started that and it was called Store Capital. Mm-hmm. The store today is still in the New York Stock Exchange. And I ran it as the founding CEO for 11 years and grew the company to somewhere around $9 billion in equity value. And, uh, <laughs> Only $9 billion. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, uh, and, and then wow. at the end of, uh, you know, somewhere before, you know, 2010 or whatnot, uh, again, you know, on the notion of what do you want people to say on your obituary, I thought, yeah. well, I want to do some other stuff besides just running a business. And so I, uh, I took a lot of the thoughts I had on how businesses should get put together. And I put it in a book, which got published earlier this year, and it's called The Value Equation. And you know, here, here it is. <laughs> and, um, uh, and, uh, and I've been talking to people about it and trying to uh, sort of change people's views on how they look at business. And and my my observation was a lot of great things about business aren't really taught at business school uh, or certainly not taught very well. And um, uh, and so this is a pretty original book on finance and business, which is kind of hard to find a rare, you know, an original book on finance anymore. But but it's, you know, a finance driven uh, book on how business models are created. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I've been teaching. I've been doing this. I'm uh, helping businesses and uh, I'm having a great time. That's nice. awesome. Hi. I have a lot of questions, but Go for I it, man. think the uh, finding the driving factors for what you were doing finance was the thing that you feel like led you down this current path that you're on. And when did you identify that? Was it before the accounting classes during the accounting classes or like working at the bank that you found that that's the thing that you enjoyed or wanted to key in on? Um, when I was working at the bank, you got to try all kinds of stuff. And I got to spend a lot of time in the credit department analyzing financial statements. Um, and I started to realize that, uh, I was, I was good at this stuff. I mean, I, um, and, uh, and I, I enjoyed it. And, um, so I started modeling out businesses. I mean, from an early age, I was, you know, really in my career, I was modeling out companies and, um, uh, and so, you know, that worked all the way through. I, I mean, I still model out companies to this day. And 
And when you when I did the value equation, part of the center piece of the value equation is that you could take any business at all. I mean, it doesn't matter what the business is and reduce it down to six variables. And um, uh, and so the idea is to make things as simple as possible so you understand what to focus on. Um, and early on when I would model out companies, it would get you know, hugely complicated. And so uh, and I have spreadsheets with like all kinds of lines. But when you can do six variables, then you can almost toss away the spreadsheet. Right. I mean, mm, you, and you can um, uh, and, and drill stuff down when I would give people discussions about store capital. I go to investor um, uh, day uh, events and I would talk to people about our company and uh, I would give them a financial model i do a five-year projection for them and i would do it with 14 variables which is pretty amazing when you think about you know, you're running a company that's got nine billion dollars in equity cap and you're doing 600 million dollars in revenue and, and you and can you reduce the whole thing down, down like to 14 variables but it, it it works and um and so uh and the idea was to sort of create value and um uh and uh so i wrote a book on how to do it so th- i think most of ryan's audience is e-commerce i think mm-hmm. as they start generating cash, they're looking for other business ventures. Mm-hmm. It seems like your ability to build out or do five-year estimates on business through your equation is refined down through a lot of different things. But from maybe your first, like working at the bank, just testing and trying to see what you enjoyed and liked to that next jump, what was that? Obviously, didn't know the formula, but maybe the feeling or passion was the thing that got you going from like this works but this isn't really what i'm called to do how did Mm -hmm. you transition into that next like phase from going either from a job into into something that you enjoyed a lot more were you doing those business evaluations at the bank and then that was a thing that you like i like this way more that's what i'm going to go into well i started you know when you're in banking and you're in credit and you're seeing all kinds of businesses you just learn pretty early on that some businesses are just flat better than other businesses. I mean, uh, um, and if you and if you look at like the Forbes 400 list of richest uh, Americans, those people have a tendency, by and large, to be in just amazing businesses. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and there are a lot of things that make those things amazing. Mm-hmm. And and so I saw just company after company after company, and uh, I've gone through thousands of them. And in fact, you know, if you look at store and and uh, our, our two predecessor companies. We financed, we provided real estate capital to thousands of companies. So I had uh, a good insight into everything from restaurants to veterinary clinics to you, know, you name it. I mean, uh, retailers to manufacturers. And, and you're looking at who's got the best business models, who's, who's just really got it down and they're creating a ton of value for both themselves and their shareholders and their employees. And so that sort of became a passion and, and, when I chose the company I went to work for in Arizona, part of it was because they had a great business model and, and I, uh, enjoyed it. I, um, passion's a funny thing. I, uh, you know, people talk about following your passions. I think that passions kind of emanate from what people are good at Agreed. oftentimes. I mean, Agreed. uh, so, um, so it, it's a sort of Malcolm Gladwell. If you spend 10,000 hours at it, um, you start being pretty good at something. And if you're good at something, you tend to start liking it more and more, you know? Um, And, uh, uh, and, uh, and then people who start companies, um, the motivations oftentimes aren't just surrounding a personal passion. It starts off with, I want to work for myself. I don't want to work for somebody else. I want to make my own mark. I want to be, you know, have more autonomy. Um, And then 
they get a joy out of uh, creating jobs for people. I mean, you hire employees, you've created jobs for people. Uh, you like working with them. That's, that's hugely important. Um, yeah. And you are providing a value for customers. The customers are happy, you know. So companies, I find business is fundamentally virtuous because it has to be a win-win-win thing. It's got to be winning for the people that are in it. And it's got to be winning for the customers, winning for the employees, winning for the suppliers, the lenders. It has to just win, you know. And so one of the things I like about business fundamentally is I just think it's just virtuous. And yeah. um, uh, and and I just enjoyed all of that. And um, uh, and so that became kind of my passion. And I think it's reflected mm -hmm. in the book. I'm going to jump here and ask a question. Chris, Christopher, <laughs> does it annoy you that popular culture paints business people as evil like evil. movies out there like the business owner is always the evil person in the lego movie mr business was a bad guy and like like business is great business business was what i feel like entrepreneurs entrepreneurs like us we are what drives the world in my opinion um it does bother me and i, I think it's because the news today likes to gravitate on bad news you know yeah. i mean uh and they're always um well there are bad people in every walk of life right so there are some some bad characters in business yep. um there are people that are good characters in business but they just make really bad mistakes so there that happens <laughs> right. too and yes. all that stuff tends to get on the front page of a, yes. of a newspaper right but meanwhile there are thousands upon thousands of really capable business people out mm -hmm. there and um and i define success in business from a financial perspective as being having a company that's around for probably at least 10 years um doesn't lose money for the investor i mean for the for the person founding the business provides that person and their family with a decent living you know yes. um that's success okay yes, it um is. then um then there's the question is what's outperformance okay um so outperformance is where you have a company and it becomes worth more than a cost to create um and most companies actually don't rise to that level most most entrepreneurs if they had to sell their business tomorrow they would be fortunate to get what they paid for the business i mean they've made an investment they're just getting out Time they're going to go do effort. Uh, exactly um and uh, uh but if you look at the people on the force 400 and you don't have to go there you can go way 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 down um, <laughs> um i mean these are companies where they without fail are worth substantially more than they cost to create. Um, mm. And you're doing that by having a strong, potent business model. And so yeah. I started focusing on how do you do that? Yeah. Awesome. And we definitely want to get to that. We want to get go get in your book and make sure that uh, that you get out what you want to share for sure. I know, Stephen, you probably have another question or two, <laughs> or you have more. but we've <laughs> I got a lot more personal questions now, but I, I think the, I'm just thinking about your audience, Aaron, from like the transitioning of I use passion, but I think you clarified it's not passion, it's really what you're good at. I think in the e-com space, I think every e-com business is set up a little different, but you can look inside yourself and see what you're good at and let that guide you to the next business venture. But yeah. I think the way that you qualified, like some businesses are run better than others. Do you have any like short answer to say like focus more on these types of businesses than these types of businesses? Like restaurants are I guess notoriously difficult to run, but coming in and I guess partnering with them and letting them not be on the hook for the bank, but the lease. So it makes it easier to walk away or less stressful was very interesting to me. Do you have, I don't know if you know the e-commerce space, but do you have a guiding light for like, stay in these businesses mm. because these businesses tend to be more successful? Yeah. Um, 
the answer is, it's not that simple, you know? Um, and, um, so over the years I've financed countless restaurants, obviously. And, and, uh, um, and, you know, had countless customers of ours, uh, develop very substantial net worths. I mean, um, and so, uh, now you generally won't see restaurant people in the Forbes 400. Um, uh, there are about two or three of them that are there. Um, but most of the ones that are there aren't really just in the restaurant space. They're in the franchising space or something McDonald's. like that, which is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of McDonald's is in the Forbes 400. It would be, uh, uh, Chick-fil-A, the Kathy family, uh, in uh, now burger, you know, would be another one. Uh, those are the two chains right today that would be in the Forbes 400, but it's super rare to have people that would be in the restaurant space because it, um, you know, one of the things that characterizes a great business is, uh, to have, uh, strong operating leverage and, and operating leverage is the idea where you can grow your sales substantially without really increasing the investment you made in the business in the first place. Mm. But in the restaurant space, there's not that much operating leverage. You, you grow your sales, uh, you have a restaurant location. To double your sales, you got to build a second restaurant location, <laughs> right? Um, and to double it again, you got to build two more restaurant locations. So, so the, there's no real operating leverage. You're creating, you're, you're investing every single time you're doing it. Um, yeah. Whereas if you're in technology or software, you know, once you've created the code, once you've made that investment, you can sell untold amounts of it without yeah. really increasing the amount of investment that you've made into it. And so, um, uh, but that doesn't mean, by the way, you can't be in the 1% in the restaurant space. You can be well within the 1%. And by the way, the 1%, just to define it for your audience, is uh, having a net worth of 10 million or more, you know, something like that, right? And so about 12% of Americans are millionaires. Um, and about two thirds of that group made their money in business. Um, and, um, and so, and the reason why it's two thirds is because you can't save enough. There's not like if you, if you focus on, um, trying to save and putting money into a 401k or to an IRA, um, it's really hard to save one or two million dollars for most jobs in America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just incredibly difficult. So to get to 10 million, unless you're a pro athlete or unless you're, uh, somebody making a huge amount of money, um, trying to save 10 million is really, really difficult. Um, mm-hmm. and so the people who get there are heavily in business. By the time you get to the Forbes 400, they're all in business, everyone, and yeah. without without any exception at all. So business is, is the uh, most assured way to get in the 1% of any place I know. That's good. So from jumping off that question, is it better to build or buy into a business? Um, I'm... Uh, I have no preference. Uh, I mean, I've watched people buy companies over the years and do incredibly well. If you look at uh, private equity firms today, and there are about 10,000 private equity firms and venture capital firms in this country, up from pretty much zero when I graduated from college. Um, and if you look at them, um, a lot of what they'll do is to buy existing businesses and then maybe roll up businesses. So they'll buy one Mergers. veterinary clinic and then another one and another one and make them bigger. And uh, and they can do a very good job of creating a lot of wealth by executing, uh, strategies to, to buy businesses. And, uh, uh, and so I, and, but I've also seen people pay too much for businesses. I mean, uh, and if you pay too much for businesses, it's really hard to reverse that. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and if you get into the public company realm, something like 90% of M&A deals just fail, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, because people, integrate them badly they pay too much for them and and make all kinds of other mistakes 
Hmm. Is there a place where they could, when you're saying pay too much, they're pulling money from the bank, not necessarily like structuring a owner finance type deal? Well, I mean, you, you know, you, so banks in general, um, aren't going to lend money unless there's cash flow on a deal, right? So, I mean, some companies got to be cash flowing. The bank's going to lend a certain multiple of that cash flow, um, against the value of the business. And then, uh, and then you got to plug for equity. So you're plugging for how much money, um, uh, you have to show up to be able to invest in, in equity. And, and if you don't have that money, then you're going to have to sit there and figure out how to raise the money from somebody else or have the seller carry back a note. I mean, there are all kinds of tricks that have been used over the years to be able to, uh, buy companies properly. Um, and every now and then banks get overly euphoric. So every now and then banks just lend too much money, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and every now and then, uh, in, you know, customers or investors rather, uh, uh, when they're buying companies, they get euphoric and they just pay too much for a business. And then, you know, sometimes you get, uh, people where they're both euphoric, you know, and they, <laughs> <laughs> and they seize off each other. Is it, you look at a company like, like, uh, you know, you look at a company like Twitter today that just got bought out and, uh, the debt's trading at something like 60 cents in the dollar. So the people that just financed it are actually, uh, underwater on their, uh, debt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Twitter's, uh, doesn't earn a profit. So, so, uh, Mr. Musk and his, <laughs> and his other investors have to figure out how to make that company earn a profit. Um, uh, because if they don't earn a profit, they can't pay back the debt and they're not right. going to also generate any return on the investment they've made, which is, which is, uh, also paramount. Yeah. Wow. Steven, I know you could probably ask him question after question after question, especially because your background, but I want to get into your book, Christopher. Tell us about the value equation, what that is, what is the value equation, and let's um, jump into that. Well, sure. Um, so it starts off with, uh, if you're running a business, there are three basic things that people focus on. And uh, uh, the first thing they focus on is what I call operating efficiency. So... Operating efficiency is sales costs, you know, trying to, trying to pr- improve your operating profit margin, which is your cash flow before you pay off any debt. Yep. Um, and the second thing that people focus on is what I would call asset efficiency, which is basically every business to create has, you got to make an investment and that investment might include real estate. It could include, uh, accounts receivable inventory. I mean, it's, it, it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what you want to do is make that investment as low as possible um, and uh, figure out how not to finance stuff. So if, you, if it's inventory, try to figure out how to have somebody else own your inventory. If it's uh, if, if it's accounts receivable, try to have people pay you on cash uh, or credit card. I mean, you're trying to figure out how can I make the investment as low as I can possibly make it. If it's real estate, by the way, you might think about how do I find a, comp- a guy like Chris that I can rent the real estate from so uh, so I don't have to put my money into the real estate. So you're yeah. trying to make the, the investment as low as you possibly can. Yeah. And the, the third thing is is capital efficiency, which is how do I finance this thing? You know, I mean, uh, where's the where's the debt come from? Where's the equity? If I have to have equity, where does that come from? Um, uh, is there a way that I can raise equity from other people to help with this? I mean, uh, which is what people do on Shark Tank every week, you know, when yeah. they go on to Shark Tank to try to figure out how to raise money by giving away as little of their company as they possibly can, which is, uh, you know, a fine American tradition. And so, <laughs> so you're trying to figure out how to, to structure the capital stack as efficiently as you can. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three things that people focus on, and they're all three of them equally important. Um, and those three things um, create six variables. And so I won't go into all the six variables and define them for you. So you, some, you know, your readers, your listeners are going to have sure. to go uh, look up the book, and yeah, it gets into a mathematic equation. Um, but basically, you're taking those three variables, you're you're creating six variables around them, and you're creating a simple equation. And What's interesting about it is that the numbers almost cease to matter. What really matters is the relationship of the numbers to each other. Um, and uh, and so uh, it doesn't matter what the business is, whether it's selling a, a dollar in sales or $10 million in sales or a billion in sales, the, the, the number itself just doesn't really matter. It's all the relationship between you know your investment and your sales and how your capital stack works. Um, and those relationships create uh, equity returns. And when I was running the, the companies I ran, my goal was to achieve uh, equity returns. And the, and the value equation computes what I call a, a current equity return. So not the total return, but what's the return today for an equity investor. And my idea was to create a return today and a total rate of return on equity that was going to be more than investors really needed. You know, And if I could do that, then I could create a company that was worth more than it cost to create. Mm. And so the goal, my goal was to be able to do that. Now, the, the stock market, just to you know, put it in broad context, the stock market has generated about a 10% rate of return for a long period of time. Um, uh, since the S&P 500 was created, it's been kind of in the 10-ish range. Um, and, and if you're looking at rolling rates of return, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, the median return is kind of 10. Um, so that says to me as a public company CEO, gee, it'd be nice if I could generate better than a 10 for investors. I mean, if I'm going to make investments, I want my investments made to be able to generate more than a 10. Because if I don't do that, then my company will generate a nice return. It'll generate 10, but it will not be worth more than a cost to create. You know, mm-hmm. So I want it to be worth more than a cost to, to create. And so we would uh, focus on being able to create an operating model and a, and a business model that was designed to create a return that was higher than what investors wanted. And by that, by doing that, then we were able to create companies that were worth more than the sum of their parts, which is what you want to be able to do. And that's where the um, most uh, wealthy people in the United States uh, generated their net worth by and large. Okay. That's a fascinating concept. I don't know if I've heard of it thought out like that, where you're purposely building the business on the return side for the investors. Is that how banks normally operate from that standpoint? Is just thinking about the. I don't think I don't think most people operate from the standpoint. Um, uh, several years ago, there was a um, uh, a company called Stern Stewart, it's a consulting firm. And they came out with a concept called economic value added, uh, which was basically to um, calculate uh, how much value was created every year by a business in excess of its cost of capital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea was that you would take a profit and loss statement and you wouldn't just put in the cost of debt, you know, the interest cost. You put in a, like a charge for equity too, right? And and so the idea was to have a P&L where you're creating uh, a spread over your entire cost of capital, both equity, you know, equity and debt. Um, and I was fascinated by that. And uh, uh, 
And I thought that that was right, but it's very hard to calculate. Like your average investor really can't calculate it Equity. that easily. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so what I decided to do was to turn it into um, a yield, a rate of return, like a uh, as, as opposed to having an absolute number. The value equation calculates a current rate of return, and and so I started being enamored more with a rate of return than what the actual EVA number was. Um, now, the idea of EVA was that if you could every year create value above your cost of equity and debt, then what you could do is over time, you would create what's called MVA, which is market value added, which is a company that's worth more than what it costs to create, right? And I started being way less concerned with market value added because I don't really care if my lenders make money. So let's say I have a lender and they lend me some money and our company does really well. And unlike uh, Twitter today, our debt becomes worth 120 cents in the dollar or something like that. Well, okay. I'm thrilled. My, my, my debt guy has made 20 cents. Um, uh, I'm, that's terrific. You know, I don't really care about that. What I really care about are the shareholders. Um, and I, you know, you're running the company for the equity guys. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped just thinking about cost of capital altogether. And I just started thinking about cost of equity. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and the idea was if I could just generate a higher equity return and simplify it, uh, then my investors really wanted to have, then, um, I created, I create MVA because when you think about MVA, most of that money really goes to equity guys. I mean, very little of it goes to debt guys. Mm. So, um, mm. and so, so I just got focused on the equity side of it. And, um, uh, and, and so, uh, so what you've got in the book is sort of the framework I used. Um, and it walks through the companies that I ran and, but it also walks you through, you know, the fangs. You can look at Apple. You can look at Amazon. You can look at different business models and see how they do it. And they're all, all the models are different, you know, um, so, uh, um, and then you can look at it from an investor perspective. Let's say you're buying stocks. I mean, you can do the same thing because um, the business investment when you're buying a stock is different from when you're starting a company. And most of the times it's because you got to pay more to buy a stock than you would have to if you started the company. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and so therefore your returns way less than the original guys that were there. Right. Um, it's the returns that Steve Jobs and Wozniak made, you know, just. You know, they're much higher than whatever any current shareholder of Apple is going to get. <laughs> so does that, when you're thinking through that equation, do you ever put yourself on the other side of that as the shareholder also? Is that another way to like incentivize yourself to think through this a little bit more strategically? Because then it's truly benefiting you? Always, always. I mean, you're if you're running a company, I said the great thing about running a company, you, you're, you're benefiting from the help that your whole staff and the whole business is, is generating. Right. I mean, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, so you're always thinking like an owner, right. Um, uh, and, uh, is it an owner so, or shareholder? Same, same, okay. same okay. difference to me. Okay. I mean, I, um, it's, it's sort of like when, when Warren Buffett buys stocks, I mean, uh, one of his comments that I love was that, he, you know, early on he was, uh, investing in stocks he was he was buying stocks and then um uh, later on he decided that approach was really wrong he was just buying companies you know i mean uh uh and you may own only a small piece of coca-cola but he's or american express two two companies he sold for a long time um but he viewed it as being able to buy a company and so he's analyzing it from that mm. perspective so in a way he's looking at it very much like i would look at it as the um, founder and and leader of a public company trying to create value for my investors. Mm. Okay. 
So I guess that's why when I ask that question, like buying or building, it's kind of the same for you because you're looking at it from the same perspective. It might be more front loaded if you're building it for the risk and the equity. But if you're coming right. into it, it's like you're just, you have to figure out where on that piece that you're at. What risk are you taking versus reward that you might get? The risk reward might be very high in the beginning. But I think if you're evaluating the business is the same. You can calculate that much easier from a starting position because of the position you're trying to put yourself in. You're trying to think through the business as that five-year business that's set up. What is this actually generating? And is it actually going to be building a business that is paying out more than the time, energy, and effort I put into it originally? How right. long does it take to kind of think through that? That sounds like a wildly different... I mean, I've started a lot of businesses, but I've never thought of it quite like that. And I think now as I get older, I'm thinking about businesses of like from the buy-sell perspective. Like I've always... <laughs> I joke with Ryan, his audience has heard this too. Like gasoline fire is normally how I'd leave the business. Mm. Talking to some more business brokers recently, they were like, you left so much money on the table. I was just like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. It was more skill-based is what I was looking for. But I think if I would have mm. went into it thinking through the business of like, I am a shareholder in this business... What does this look like? And if I'm not the, that's what I was saying, like business owner of this and some, I need to hand this off and then become a shareholder. The business needs to operate the same way. But I guess all that to say, from starting a business, thinking through this perspective, how, it seems like it's pretty easy math. If I sat down and thought through it and added up the numbers, do you feel like this takes months, years to kind of understand or does this seem like a simple enough concept that like if I get it I could sit down and kind of stretch this business out five years and feel confident that I'm moving in the right direction to be able to create a business that's going to be able to profit more than the time energy and effort that I put into it um that was a lot I apologize <laughs> no I'm sorry it wasn't for, so as I'm as far as I'm learning about you Ryan I'm uh, seeing you've got a book out there and one of your advices to people is that if you think this is really easy, it's not. If you're going to get right. rich overnight, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and so people who, you know, your your audience who wants to get into business and create a company, um, it would really help them to understand just sort of the fundamentals of business models, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and to do that, it's going to take a little bit of time. They have to invest some time in this, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is the math is all middle middle school math, right? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing there's nothing fancy about it, right? It's all division and and, and multiplication. So there's nothing nothing fancy about it. But, you have to cheat and use a calculator. You don't have to do it in your head. Yeah, but but the <laughs> but the concepts can be hard to like grasp. Like you got to think through it, and mm -hmm. to be able to sort of be fluent in the language of business takes yeah. some time you know um but it's really super worth it uh if, if people are doing it because they better really understand what what it is they're getting involved in and what the risks of that are and um you know i think that that it gets down to when when people talk about for example re-engineering a corporation or setting goals you know um uh it comes down to the six variables i mean it's coming down to shareholder returns i mean you know you're not running the company for your health i mean you want to make the company um you know, create value too, right? I mean, you want it to be profitable. And so, um, so fundamentally, uh, every year if you're sitting down with your staff and your, and your team and you're focusing on how to run a business, it's all focusing around trying to make the business model better. Mm. Yeah. This sounds like you're, uh, this book needs to be a, a in, in college curriculums instead of the boring <laughs> business books that they're reading now. <laughs> 
Well, I'm working on that, you know, um, and I, I think that's, I think that's true. I mean, I think, I think yeah. that the material should be, should be there. I, you know, when I see people that graduate from university or from business school, even, um, you oftentimes have to teach them how to read financial statements. I mean, to yeah. spend time, uh, being able to interpret financial statements, um, uh, which means they, they can all calculate in that present value or they can calculate an internal rate of return. I mean, these are sort of things that they teach you in business school, but, they don't teach you how to be an owner and how to put all this stuff together. Look at a whole balance sheet and a company and, uh, and how the business model matters, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and there's no internal rate of return or net present value at all in the book. I mean, it's, uh, uh I mean, I ran public companies using this. I mean, <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, and, and no one taught it to me in business school. So I had to, learn it for myself and create it. So the first article I wrote on the value equation was in uh, 1999. And and then I started writing other articles. So in a way, the book is sort of the consummation of 20 plus years of doing this. Awesome. And Congratulations on it too. And well, before we wrap, I'll Stephen, I'll let you get some more questions too, but I'll make sure we answer the question. Where can people find it? Because I know folks are going to want to grab it. Amazon. Oh, it's on Amazon and it's on Apple books and anywhere, you know, Barnes and Noble, whatever. I mean, so it's uh, it's out there. Awesome. And if people you know look at it and love it, I'd love to have a review too, by the way. Yes, so for sure. That's very helpful. <clears throat> I was gonna come more from a you're you're constantly looking at that bucket list. Was something on there teaching? And uh, I mean I might be mis saying this, but you teach at Cornell or taught at Cornell? Was that something that was on I've, your I've taught list? at Cornell. Um uh and I've guest lectured at other universities. It it is uh, sort of because, you know, in a way, um Part of what you want on your obituary and whatnot is that uh, you made a difference to other people, yes. right? So, um, and uh, and so, you know, starting a business isn't everything. You want to be able to uh, contribute to other people and to to what their uh, future is going to be. And and in a way, uh, when you teach, you can touch more people. When I do a podcast like this, I can touch more people doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel like this book is for obviously for people who want to start a business, but if they have a business currently? And want to just increase the the revenue, make it more profitable. Is this a good fit for them too? Yeah. Well, the the, uh, the title of the book is "The Business Guide to Wealth Creation for Entrepreneurs, Leaders, and Investors." Which that's a pretty big group, you know. So, um, and if you're working for a company or you're thinking about what you want to do with your life, you're trying to think about what kind of job I want to have. It sure does help if you're working for a company that's got a great business model um, yeah. uh, and for people that understand the importance of business models. Uh, and people that are working for companies that have solid business models tend to have much better resume fodder. Uh, they tend to probably get paid more. Um, they've got better career uh, mobility oftentimes. Um, uh, if you're an investor, uh, if you can look at a company, not just as a stock, you know, not as like, I'm going to buy game stock today because mm-hmm. some people are, you know, it's a momentum thing and I'm going to just buy that. Um, uh, but if you're really reading financial statements, and by the way, this is a little bit of a lost art because, you know, roughly two thirds of the trading volume in our stock, uh, when I was running the company would be done by people who didn't even have a clue what we were doing, <laughs> mm. so, um, uh, which happens all the time. But if you, if, if, uh, people will read it and really understand what, what businesses are doing and how they're creating value, it'll make better investment decisions. Um, and then, you know, I imagine there are a lot of people that think, well, gee, I'd like to be an entrepreneur someday. I'd like to take that risk and uh, start a business. You know, what's it going to take to to do this? And uh, and this book will give you an idea of just 
not really all the steps you have to go to start a business, but but yeah. it'll give you an idea of how the financial model needs to work and yeah. uh, what it is you're trying to do from an objective standpoint, um, and uh, uh, and and how you can create uh, wealth. And and the, you know uh, the goal for sure is you'd like to be inside the twelve percent of Americans that are millionaires. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the number drops to six percent for those that are worth you know. So you're twelve percent for a man. It's like six percent for two million, right? So it just tells you how hard it is to get to be two man. Um, and, and you know, by the time you get to fifty, it's it's one percent, right? Um, uh, and uh, uh, if you're a billionaire, you're in like one one thousandth percent, right? So so it really drops off a lot. But uh, so you want to be somewhere, you know, a win would be certainly between like the twelve and the one somewhere. If you yeah. can get there, you know, that'd be a, a massive win for anybody. And um, and it's totally attainable. I mean, completely, hundred yeah. percent attainable. And especially in a market like we are in, because you know, since you got ten thousand companies out there that are looking for good ideas and good people and good management teams, um, for the people on your uh, podcast for listening in, um, if you got some good ideas and some uh, good folks and a decent business model, uh, you should be able to raise money to start a business. Yeah. And, and that's what yeah. I've I've done multiple. Do you times. think with um somebody who's um getting ready to start a business or in raising capital, if they have read your book, they're going to sound a whole lot smarter to potential investors than somebody else who goes out goes about it the old way? Uh, without question. Yeah. <laughs> no question. <laughs> Are you ever disheartened when you talk to business owners and it seems so wildly like they don't understand their finances at all? It's been very eye-opening to me now talking to a lot more businesses and thinking about buying businesses and talking to more business owners and talking about their P&L or <laughs> they don't even know what a P&L is. It's just like, it's wild to me to know that people can start businesses and not know. I think the foundations of business, do you see some of that same stuff when you're dealing with lending money? Um, well, yeah, because when business leaders sometimes succeed in spite of themselves, which is what you're talking about, yeah. um, yes. uh, then um, then they could succeed so much better if they uh, really focused on elevating their business models. And um, one of the things that I would see from time to time, just as an example, would be where a company would want to sell itself. So, so uh, not too long ago, I had a company that uh, they rented construction equipment. So they're running cranes and mm-hmm. running loaders and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, they're in Texas. They're trying to sell themselves. Um, they sell themselves to a gentleman out of Atlanta. Um, and the price he paid was equal to just the value of their real estate. I mean, uh, uh, so, so, uh, they basically then turned around and uh, and did a uh, they they sold the buildings to a landlord and and um, uh, and rented the buildings. No money and, deal right there. Um, and it's no money deal. So um, and so what you get is the seller of the business didn't really understand uh, one of the pillars of business value, which is capital efficiency. They didn't understand the pillar, you know, and and failure to understand that pillar is like really important because you can really shortchange yourself when you're selling a business, you know? Mm-hmm. And so just never occurred to them. They, they just didn't know that somebody could go off and do this. And if they'd known, they could have done it themselves, had the same amount of money and still owned the business. Um, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. so you, you have things like that where people just don't pay attention. They just don't continue to learn. And it's important for all of us as uh, business people to try to do our best to continue to learn. Yes. I am becoming a buyer. That story is very helpful to me. I was 
<laughs> in the process of buying some notes. Uh, we just went to a conference and I was in the process of buying some notes from a hard money lender who's ha- having a tremendous success, but I think it's in spite of himself. So I was going through the financial calculator on a 10B2 with him and he was just like bewildered by anything that I was doing. I was just like, this doesn't make sense to me that you can have this much success and not know like, you're lending money. I would assume you'd need to know like some of these concepts, but I think it is, there's a lot of opportunity in the buying side if you have a better foundation. Mm. Um, and I think now I should have, now hearing you tell this story, I should have bought those notes. I just felt bad because I was like, I don't, this feels like I'm taking advantage of this. It's not what I'm looking to do. I'm just trying to show him how he can increase. No, it's, it's, if you, if you look at our history or my history over a lot of years of, of putting up money, some of the biggest uh, money losing deals that I've been part of uh, are buying real estate and leasing it to people that have all the equity in the world and they just flushed it, you know. And then on the other side, some of our most successful uh, uh, stories are buying real estate and uh, and having as a tenant someone who has no equity in their business. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so, uh, so people can make the decision to buy companies, and sometimes you you get a really uh, tremendous uh, deal and sometimes you know people can make just uh, horrific mistakes wow okay wow this is good stuff Christopher I want to um, and whether you prefer Chris or Christopher Chris, uh, Chris is good <laughs> all right um, last question and we'll let you go appreciate your time um, you've seen a lot of different companies you've seen a lot of different business owners what's some what's you know some advice you'd give people who are starting a business besides get your book um, just some you've, cause you've been able to see a lot of businesses. So what are some things you've seen that would turn into some success tips or just advice you'd give somebody who's wanting to start a business? Well, first thing is that all businesses solve problems, you know? Um, and I, you know, sometimes if you're, if you're doing, um, uh, if you're doing e-commerce, for example, you may not think you're solving a problem, but you are, I mean, somebody's buying, what it is that you're selling, you know, yep. and so, uh, and they have a need and you're fulfilling that need. So all businesses exist to, to solve somebody's problem. And that problem could be uh, everything from serving a meal to, to launching a satellites into space. I mean, you're, yeah. uh, and so as you're building a business model around it, um, you have to think about why it is that people want to buy from you. What's the problem you're solving and then how to craft a business model around it. Like for example, um, I think about uh, one of my favorite companies has been Google for a long time. And um, and so when Larry Page and Sergey Brin started that company, uh, they had an idea for a much more efficient way to browse the web. Uh, and uh, so then the question is, well, how do you turn that into a business model? I mean, you have a, I mean, these, these, are, these are PhD students who are dreaming up something that's sort of uh, uh, fairly academic probably at, at the outset. And then the question is, well, how do you take this academic thought? I mean, I just uh, give people a better way and, and turn it into a business model, which they did. So, so you're taking an idea and you're crafting into a business model. Um, the next thing is you, you have to have a good team of people with you. I mean, very few businesses are started by just one person who runs it. I mean, uh, uh, because that's just a proprietorship. It's just you. <laughs> um, but if you have, but if you have a company, you know, you tend to, ha- you tend to combine folks with complementary skill sets. Um, uh, and you all aren't good at the same thing. So, yeah. uh, and, and you're putting a team of people together and really good teams of people are hard to find. I mean, they're, they're almost harder to find than the money, I think. Um, uh, so if you're, uh, trying to go off and raise money from people to invest and back you. It really helps to have a very solid team of, of people. Mm. Um, and um, 
The last thing I, you know, for me is, as, as you're putting together a company, um, and you're thinking about why would somebody, you know, invest in you versus other people? I mean, you have to always think, why would, you know, why, what's, what's my edge here? You know, because mm-hmm. companies that even if they're starting off, they have an edge there. There's a, maybe a small mode, but they have an edge, right? So, yeah. and why would people work here and why would customers buy here and, and so on? And then you're thinking through, uh, core competencies. And, um, I know that people talk a lot about value statements and I'm not, I like value statements. Okay. But um, I find that every value statement I receive from a company, I, I like them all, you know, um, but they but they all tell you that, you know, you're supposed to be honest and the customer comes first. And I mean, they all say kind of the same thing. It's just Amazon's going to say it maybe differently from Walmart or something like that. Sure. But they all fundamentally say the same thing. Um, and but the real issue is is core competencies. And, and it's what are the things that you're really good at? And when you're starting a business, one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs to do is to focus because mm-hmm. they're all pretty creative people. Uh, they tend to go after the shiny object over, over here. Yes. You know, whatever the shiny object is, they're <laughs> going to go after it. And uh, and it helps to sort of re- refine what it is you're there to focus on. And you say, yeah. usually, you know, four or five things this company is going to do. So, for example, if you're looking at um, the last company that I started, you know, our goal was to buy real estate that people couldn't buy, that they wouldn't find it. You know, uh, we didn't want to just buy anything that was like off the shelf. We wanted to buy stuff they couldn't get. We wanted to buy it at yields they couldn't get. So price, you know, basically returns that they couldn't get. We wanted to buy it with documentation on the lease side they couldn't get. We wanted to finance it better than they could. I mean, there were like four or five things that we were going to focus on, mm-hmm. um, which if you're doing that, um, you're creating your core competency and then your leadership team is buying into that and they're focusing on those four or five competencies and that's it. You know, I mean, uh, and they try not to get distracted by the other stuff and maybe once a year you all meet and you sit down and maybe you create a different competency uh, or you broom one, but that's really part of it because when you're an entrepreneur, what happens is, you know, day one, you're sitting around with a team of people. Then you, then you have a company, maybe somebody backs you. You start creating a business and then pretty soon you're hiring somebody and you're running into them in the hallway and you have no idea who that person is, right? Because somebody else hired them. And, um, and so, so the question is, well, how do you have this organic company that's going to operate as you want it to operate? And the way is to create the competencies to begin with. So everybody buys in. That's so good. Man, we could dig into that forever too. Chris, thank you so much for being on here. Steven, you added a ton. You asked a lot of great <laughs> questions that I would never been able to ask. So thank you both. Appreciate you being on. Ryan, Steven, I enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week.